Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. We are in the middle of a message series called Christ's Promises in Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, which is the very last book of the Bible, there are In the second and third chapters, there are seven letters that were written to seven churches, narrated by Jesus, written down by the Apostle John, and and given to the pastors of these congregations to share with the people in those congregations. Jesus was letting them know that he saw what was going on in their churches. He saw what was going on in their lives. And there were some challenges. There were some struggles. But for each church, each individual church, there were also promises that not only did did Jesus know what was going on, but he gave them hope for the future. And today, as we look at Christ's promises in Revelation, the same is true for us, that, that there are promises that we can take with us. And today we're going to look at uh, the church in Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, just so you know. It's Philadelphia over in, in Turkey and, and this 2,000-year-old church uh, to see I- exactly what the promises were that God was giving to them. Now, as we start to look at this and, and get in our head uh, this church and what was going on there, I want you to think of, of two different type of terms that we use. And they are the terms either that we hang on or we need to let go. And what's interesting is that we use each of them, hang on or let go. And obviously, there are, are times when we need to do either one of those, hang on or, or let go. And so I, I want to start by saying there are times when you tell people, you know what, you need to let it go, okay? Or you need to let go. And uh, it might be a situation where someone is really upset about something that happened in the past. Uh, Maybe it's one of my brothers or sisters remembering when we were seven years old and I got a bike for Christmas and all they got were underwear and socks and they're still upset with my parents about it. And I tell them, you know what? You're 50 years old. Let it go. Okay, it's over. It's not constructive anymore. You need to let it go. You need to forgive it. Uh, it could also be a, a time where it's more serious. I, I've seen this before when, when someone is in hospice and, and they are near death. And family members come to them as, as they are holding on to life. And they tell them, mom or dad, it's okay to let go. It's okay. Uh, that, that now it's time for you to pass from this life to the next to go see Jesus. And it's okay to just let go. Today, as we are looking at it, we're going to be looking at it from the other standpoint. And that is for those who are told to hang on. And now, now hanging on is a little bit different. And, and it might be when uh, my kids call me from school. Dad, you were supposed to pick me up. What's going on? And I tell them, just hang on. Just hold on. I'll be there in just a minute. Just relax. Uh, you don't have to go walking home. You don't have to call anyone else. Just hold on. I'll, I'll be there. And there are other times when, when, when we hold on. And one of the times that I thought of in, in my life is, is when I was a kid 
And I don't know if when you were little, if you ever went on the monkey bars. And this is what I remember from the monkey bars. See, this kid right now is holding on. And, and this is my memory of holding on on the monkey bars. Because I had a brother who was like gymnastic type build person. Whereas I was a little more susceptible to gravity than he was. So what happened is he would go flying across these monkey bars. And that is usually about how far I would get. I would get just off the step, maybe get that second one. And I, I would just be hanging and, and hanging onto those, that bar. And, and it became clear to me and obvious that I wasn't going to be going in either direction. So at that point, I was no longer climbing on the monkey bars. I was holding on. The problem was, on our playground, there was not dirt and there was not like wood chips or or like they have any uh, foam padding. There was hot lava. And and that hot lava was all around. and, And other days, the hot lava was removed and there were alligators Other days it was dug out and it was about 500 feet when you would fall to your death. At least that's what we said when we started climbing across it. So as I'm I'm there and I'm crying, uh, there are those who would say, you know what? Just let go. Just, Just let go. Just let yourself fall. But I was usually one who would just, you know, start crying and yelling and then, and then maybe let go. But what was the best was that when I would be there and maybe be that age, and and I've done this with my kids when they were in that situation, what's even better is when someone would come up and hold on to me. And when they were holding on to me, say, okay, I have you. Now you can let go and let me take you to the other side. Now, as we look at this message tonight, I'm going to first start by saying there are times in your life when you need to hold on and there are times when you need to let go. I'm I'm just going to simply say that that if you're struggling with which one to do, that that it's usually somewhat easy to say it this way. Do the one that God wants you to do. And, and then in your life, if, if that doesn't make it very clear what God wants, then go to his word and, and continue to, to search God's will for you. I know that's not going to answer everyone's question, but what I need you to do in this message tonight, I need you, if this message is, is really going to be helpful to you, I need you to think about an area in your life where you feel like you are just holding on. You're just hanging on, that you can't see yourself going forward or backwards. I think about times in my life where I've felt that way. Uh, there are times when I've felt that way with anxiety. There are times when I have felt that way with fear of the future. There are times that way when I have felt that way about my job. Uh, Even as a pastor, I've I've felt that way. I feel like I'm just hanging on, hanging on by a thread. 
There are times when people could feel that way about their marriage, about a relationship, about their health, and about things that are going on, about being there emotionally for, for family or friends. I don't know if I've gotten close to yours or not, but, but as you think about that area where you're holding on, I'm telling you, help is on the way. That, that there is hope. That even though you can't see yourself going either direction, God surely can. And the reason why I know that is because of what he tells us in the letter to the church in Philadelphia. And I'm going to read that letter in its entirety right now. And I want you to think that as we're going through this, I want you to think about a church of people who are barely holding on. And, and theirs specifically is, is a spiritual holding on to, to the promises of God, that God is, is, first of all, is Jesus, that he's risen from the dead, that he's with them in, in their lives. So, so it's like a spiritual of, of the content of what they believe. But this belief also affected them very real in a physical way with things that were being done to them on account of their faith. And so, so there's a spiritual aspect and there's a physical aspect. And I'm willing to bet that in your life, if you are a person who is just holding on, that there is a, is a, there's a part of it that's faith-related and there's a part of it that seems like it's not, that, that like if it's finances or if it's other things like that, it, it's not, you don't see it as just spiritual. These people had that same type of thing. So anyways, I'm going to read right now this letter. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, so to the pastor, this is what the pastor should read to the people there. These are the words of him who is holy and true. So these words are honest, true things. Who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Code for that, I know that you're just hanging on. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars... I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep from you the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as Jesus is writing to them, the, the, this Jesus who, who sees what is going on and who's walking around these churches, he, he's letting them know this first part that's so important. I've said this with a number of messages already, but it's important for this one too. Jesus sees what's going on in your life. 
He knows. He, 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 he is walking around. He is in our midst today. And, and so as he is here, as he reminds them of this truth, that whatever they're, they're holding on to, the, the thing where they're just struggling with and, and losing their strength, Jesus knows. And he comes to their rescue with these promises. The one verse I would, I would like to start on as we, we begin is Revelation 3, verse 8, a portion of that verse where it says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And I, I want to focus on that first part where it says, I know that you have little strength. Another way that you can, can say that is, I know that you are tired, okay? I know that as you're, holding on, as you're holding on, your arms get sore, your fingers get sore. Everything that you're holding on, that, that it's just, it, it just makes your whole body hurt. And I know that happens when that, when that goes on spiritually as well. Now, as we look at this, one of the things that we first need to understand is that having little strength is not a sin. I'm going to say that one more time. Having little strength and being tired is not a sin. And, and as we look at this, the reason why this is so important is because Jesus acknowledges the fact that they, are, they do have little strength. Notice there's a difference between saying they are weak and, and saying they have little strength. Okay? So, so I want you to think about... Uh, if you go into LA Fitness or, or some gym, I don't care who the person is that is lifting the weights. That if they are doing some weightlifting where there are they do burnouts, meaning uh, you can put I don't care what the weight is, you could have a bar with no weight on it, and you could take the strongest person in the world and just have them see how many bench presses they could do of just the bar. I don't know how many they could do. Could do a lot more than me. Maybe they could do a hundred. Maybe they could do 500. Maybe they could do 1,000. I don't know. But I guarantee you, the strongest person in the world, if he continued to just bench a bar that weighed 50 pounds, at some point would come to the point where their strength was gone. And as we look at that in our lives, it's also important for us to understand that by virtue of being human, by virtue of not being God, that there will come a time because of what we have to endure that all of us at some point get tired. And that's all right. But the thing that I would like to, to, to talk about is, is the time when that can turn into sin. And, and so many times when, when it does that direction is when you get tired, what do you do? For the people in Philadelphia, what they did is when they got tired, with all the strength they had left, they grabbed on to God and his promises as tightly as they could. With this last gasp, with this last little strength that I have left, that's what I am going to hold on to. And Jesus saw that, and he commended them for it. The problem that I see, and this is not just in the people that I come into contact with, but into my own heart, is that at times when I feel tired, 
when I, when I have little strength left, I use the strength that I have to lash out at others, to, to, to blame. I wrote down some of the ways here that, that, that as I'm struggling, okay, that, that if I'm just hanging on, imagine if I'm just hanging on in my, my relationship, whether it be at work or, or in a marriage or as I'm just hanging on with my health or if I'm hanging on with the fear or anxiety. These are the ways I don't want to use it. I don't want to use it by hating, trying to get revenge, jealousy, envy, greed, complaining, self-pity, anger, a big one here, worry, uh, and, and, and the list can go on and on. I want you to think about that, the destructive ways that when you're tired, you use the energy you do have. And the thing about it is, I've been all of those things. And it's amazing how much energy they take uh, to do things that, that it, for a person who claims to not have much strength left, I have no problem finding the energy to do the wrong things. And so as we look at this, the, the, this part that that starts with is, Lord, please help me understand that, that when I get this pressure, it's my, my sinful nature. It's like my default to go the other way. So, Lord, please take me back to you and, and to your word and, and to help Focus on things that are actually going to be helpful in what you would have me do and and how you can help me through this situation. One place that I've directed many people and and one that is committed to my memory is Matthew 11, verse 28. What great words for people who are just hanging on. Come to me, all you who are weary, tired, holding on, and burdened. And I will give you rest. There are times when we are hanging on. And, and well, let's face it. No matter what we are doing, uh, you can see this physically, spiritually, emotionally. All of us exert energy. And then there are times when we need to rest. And, and the way that you do that, I, I think it's easy to see when, when you're lifting weights. That when you get to a point, if you're doing burnouts and you cannot lift another one, someone spots you, they, they lift the bar up, they put it on its stand, and, and you let someone else carry it, and you let someone else hold it. And as we look at this in our, in our lives, the, if you are just holding on, my question for you is, is that, is it possible that, that the Lord is holding you, and that you just haven't taken the rest yet? That you haven't said, you know, Lord, I am going to simply put this in your hands for now and let you hold me, get a little strength and energy back, and then put my hands up on the bar because I know you want me to continue to hold on. That's what he's telling us here. And, and that's finally when we think of Jesus, Jesus not as an example for us, but Jesus as a savior for us. That Jesus has come to save us because if we are left on our own, and I think we figured this out, we can't hold on by ourselves and we can't hold on forever and we can't get to the other side by ourselves. And that's what we struggle with is we struggle with because we can't do it on our own strength. We sometimes fail to see how Jesus can. He said, how about if you take those things that you can't do, these burdens that you were never meant to carry and you put them on me Instead, in the blank, in the first blank, you can write, the Christians in Philadelphia used the strength they had in the right way. 
They used the strength they had in the right way. They used the strength they had to surround themselves with each other, to surround themselves with with God's word, uh, to surround themselves with people who cared. And as they did that, a crazy thing happened is they used that little strength they had, and then that strength was built up again as they went back to God and his word. We go on from here. So, so we realize that now we, we, we need to focus our attention that as we're hanging on, where we need to go is the promises of Christ because that's what's going to give us strength. That's what's going to give us hope. That's what's going to get us to the other side, however God is going to take us as we're hanging on wherever we're at. And this is what he says in Revelation 3 verse 7. He said, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now in this, this is a very interesting, obscure reference. And he refers to the key of David, which is a reference to Isaiah 22. And in Isaiah 22, it talks about an individual. This is long after David is gone, but he still has the key of David. And, and what it is a reference to is a reference to the key to the royal treasury. And, and so it's like the treasure of the kingdom has access to get anything that was in David's throne room, even though David had been dead and buried for hundreds of years. And so as Jesus is writing these to the people, what he's telling them is, I have the keys to the storeroom, but not of, not of David's storeroom, but of God's storeroom. That you need to understand that, that the way we say it a number of different ways, but everything is God's, that, that everything's in his power, everything is in his control, the whole world is his, the whole universe is his, everything is his. That Jesus is saying, I have access to everything that, that the Father has access to, Spiritual, physical, any type of gift that you could imagine. And I'm going to use all of these treasures of heaven on your behalf. And that is encouraging. That, that as they hear this, that, that he's telling them, there's nothing I can't do for you. I am the almighty God. There's nothing I can't give to you. And so right now, the fact that I am not giving it to you or not giving you what you want at this very moment... Don't take that to mean that I don't love you. Don't take that to mean that I'm not powerful enough to give you what you need. But understand now that I am the almighty God who understands what you are going through. This is, this, as I said, is a physical and spiritual promise. And it's one that Jesus also plays on in Matthew 16, verse 19. And it says in there, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And when Jesus here is referring to the keys, it's not the keys of David. It's, it's the keys, I guess you could say literally, to the kingdom of heaven. And what he is offering each individual Christian here and offering to his church is the, the privilege to forgive sins. So that as someone comes to me, as someone comes to you and and confesses that they have done wrong, and you tell them you are forgiven, 
you have opened heaven to them with all of its blessings. That sin no longer has control over them. Sin no longer is going to damn them to hell, but they are on their way with you into God's house. God gave you, God gave me, God gave each and every one of us the keys to his house. And he says, everything in that house, every spiritual blessing, I want you to share with one another. These are the promises that these people had. In the blank, you can write, Jesus opens and closes the door to God's kingdom. He offers us the treasure of God's grace. He, he talks about this and he says that he, he has these keys and he gives these keys to us. And, and then he says he opens the door, he shuts the door. When he opens the door, no one can close it. And when he closes that door, no one can open it. And, and so when we think about that, talking about forgiveness, this is about those because there were those in Philadelphia who did not believe in God, who did not trust his promises, and who were on the path that led to hell. And, and he's making it very clear. These words are, are strong in grace, strong in truth. The truth of the matter is, is as you turn away from me, when this door is shut, that when you shut that door through unbelief, there is nothing you can do to open it. The flip side of that for those who are just holding on is that no one can close that door in your face. That, that this picture of God holding that door open, that as much as others would try to, to shut it and not let you in, that the promises that come from Jesus of forgiveness and, and for your future, nothing's going to take that away. And again, as I look at this and, and I think of this in terms of this hanging on, and as you're on a monkey bars, it's so easy to see what you're looking for. You're looking to go to the other side. That's what you want. And, and for you right now, it can be difficult to see what even going to the other side of your issue even looks like. But ultimately, where God is telling us is, is the other side of the monkey bars isn't just getting through your problem. That might just be one more rung. But where he's going to take you is to heaven. That finally, as you look at where we are going and, and, and the whole point of, of this exercise that he takes us through called life is to bring us there. And we dare never forget that as the final destination. He goes on and gives them another promise. So we have all these treasures, all, all of this, the wealth of heaven, all these things for us. And then he says this. This, this might be my favorite one. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. As these people are hanging on, there's people saying, let go. Your God's not coming. He's not going to help you. Just let go. Just let go of that faith. Let go of that and join us in our unbelief. Join us in, in doing whatever we want. Just let go of that faith. And the people just, they, they, they couldn't do it. And what it reminds me, it reminds me of a story of uh, at the place where I, I used to be a pastor, up in the middle of Wisconsin, Wausau, Wisconsin. We were 100 miles from Green Bay. And one guy in our church, uh, Brian, if this is being recorded, Brian, shout out to you, man. Uh, Brian was a good friend of mine, and he took me to every Monday night football game that was played in Green Bay when I was the pastor of that church. 
And the reason why is he said, you can't go on Sunday. You should go on Monday nights. And I'm not even a Packer fan. So I would always cheers for him to lose. But he said I couldn't do it loud. Anyways, he, he would take me to these games. And he worked for a shoe company. And the way that it worked is he had gotten to be friends with many of the Packers because many of them come, had come from uh, very meager circumstances and had grown up poor, almost destitute. And they liked to run camps in their hometown. And they would go to Brian. Ryan worked for a place called East Bay, which is a, a shoe catalog company. And they, they went to him, and, and he got to know them. And they said, Brian, we want every child that comes to our camp to have a new pair of shoes and a new shirt. And so Brian was able to work through his company to, to get free shoes for every kid that would come to these camps. And then they got to kind of be friends with him, and, and they would get all kinds of stuff from him. And then in return, they would give him tickets to every game. And usually those tickets were on the 50-yard line, first, second row, uh, just amazing. And one of the guys that he was especially close to, got to be good friends with, uh, a little older player, his name was Amon Green. And a running back, he was like, at the time in his heyday, he was, he was kind of like a Larry Fitzgerald type. I mean, he was a very, very good player, uh, loved by all the people. So anyways, uh, you know, we have this relationship where he's going to these Packer games, stuff like that. And uh, Brian had a son named Cody who was in, at that time, I think, fourth grade. And one night after a, a football game, they were at school and the kids were talking about football and about the Packers and about Amon Green. And Cody said, well, my dad's good friends with Amon Green. And all the kids there said, no, he's not. He doesn't know him. You're just making that up. It's like, no, he's, he's like a friend of ours. And yeah, we know him. And so all the kids are making fun of him. That night he goes home from school crying and his dad's, what's wrong? Well, the kids are making fun of me because I told them I know I'm on green. And, and now they're, uh, they're just making fun of me. So anyways, this kind of continued for a couple weeks. And one day at school or at church, which was right next to the school, Brian drives up with Amon Green, comes in, says, hi, you know, hey, what you guys up to? We're going over to Cody's classroom today. And so they drove over to the school, uh, walked in, knocked on the door. Amon Green there in his Packer uniform. Hey, everybody, I'm Amon Green and I'm here to see my good friend Cody. And, And so it was all those kids who were making fun of him, were finally say, Ha! I told you that he knows me. I want you to think about that, what that would have been like for people in Philadelphia who were holding on. Because Jesus was not going to come and say, I know you. It's not what this says. That Jesus is going to come up and, and that every person as they stand before him is going to say, No, Jesus loves you. For all those times that we said he didn't, that God didn't love you, that God was cursing you, that you wouldn't be living this type of life you are if you followed the true God, this God who had abandoned you, that that day is coming. And as we look at that, it is a theme that runs throughout Scripture, and it, it, it runs also through with Christ. Remember Christ, as he went on trial, was told, 
he was not the son of God, that he was from Satan, that he was committing blasphemy. He's put to death. He was put in the ground as a loser. But in the book of Philippians, God makes a promise through the apostle Paul that God would give him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the promise. That's a promise for you. That even though this day, it might not seem like that day is coming, it will. And it will be a good day. If I didn't already tell you the blank, he promises vindication. Vindication for his children. Vindication. And there's more. Uh, there's more. Revelation 3, 11 and 12. I'm coming soon. Okay, so as you're holding there, <laughs> mom, I can't hold on. I'm coming, just hold on. Okay, now I have a time limit. He's coming. We know that. I'm coming soon. Hold on. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to his word. Hold on to these promises so that no one will take away your crown. Don't give up now. For goodness sakes, no. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. He's going to make you a pillar. So you go from hanging on to a pillar. And also, Psalm 46, 1 and 2, it says, just like our God is, we're going to be strong like him. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Making us strong. In the blank, you can write, Jesus is my rock who makes me a pillar so I can withstand any situation. You know, right now I feel like I'm holding on, but there is going to come a day when, when I am like a pillar. It's like not moved. It's like the load-bearing wall of a building. It just, it just stays there, and it is so strong. And as I was doing this, it just made me think of a video. I don't know if you've ever seen these. these uh, I think they're called Tough Sheds. Uh, I've just seen commercials for them. They're so funny. You can go on YouTube because the, the commercials are kind of good. I have one of these commercials right now. This is who we are. <laughs> and this is who they are. <laughs> If you see the whole commercials, you got to YouTube this. It's, it's all of these things of, of just these weak sheds that can't withstand anything are made into tough sheds that can withstand anything. And it's, it has other ones that are being blown by wind, other ones that are being hit by water, other ones that are, have people snowboarding on top of them. But they can withstand anything. And I know that as you are holding on that you don't see yourself that way. But that's not how God sees you. And, 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 it's, and it's not what you become as much as it is what God makes you. A pillar. Uh, we think of someone who's a pillar in the community. We, we use that terminology. That is what God's promise is for you, for your future in his home, in your future home. 
And then finally, the final promise from God, Revelation 3, verse 12. I will write my name, the, the name of my, I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. In the blank, you can write, Jesus writes his name on me to remind me or to remind everyone that I and he, remind everyone and me that I belong to him. Jesus writes his name on me. And now whenever I think about this, I think of the movie Toy Story. And I think of Buzz and Woody. You know, you, you pick up their foot and on the bottom, what did it say? Andy. Because that's who they belong to. Uh, I think of when I was a kid with my baseball glove because I had a habit of leaving it at the baseball diamond. Wrote my name and address on it. Uh, if, if, law, if found, please return to Dan Salofra. Uh, because it was mine, and I didn't want to lose it. And, it. and if for some reason it was apart from me, someone would bring it back. Think of the things that you put your name on. Uh, your Tupperware, your, your cooking dishes, all those different things that you want back. So that if someone has them, I want those, because they're mine. That that's what God says of us as well. That our, his name is on us. And he wants us back. He, he wants us he wants us to be part of his life. This doesn't change the fact that today you're just holding on. And I get that. I understand that, that with these promises and, and with these people in Philadelphia, they, there were two different realities one was this, this reality of God's promises and, and the other was the reality of the world in which they live. And we need to understand that the way that God continues to strengthen us is through his promises and, and through his word. That is how he works. That is how he gives us strength. That is how he gives us rest. And that word, whether it comes from this stage or from your growth group, or for people who, who give you the encouragement of God's word, don't discount that and don't, un, don't fail to see where these promises of God come from. And, and as, you, as you hear them, hold on. Grab on with all of your might because these promises are true. These promises are from Christ and these promises are here to sustain you. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, there are times in our lives when we feel like we're just holding on. So there might be times when we look back when we were just holding on and we, we realize how you brought us through. There are times right now where people who are in this world are just holding on. And so, Lord, we pray, please help them hold on. Help us to, to bring these promises to them and, and to give them uh, strength and, and to, to give them whatever they need uh, as your children. Please help us support each other on the path that leads to eternal life. And Lord, please help us look forward today to the day when all these promises will come true. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. Just keep holding on. Just keep holding on to those promises of Christ. And, and as we look at this, we, we hold on together, I guess. Even though we're holding on, we feel like we're alone. Uh, at times as a kid, I remember when friends would you know, go on the top of the monkey bars and try to hold my arms, and other people try to push the feet up to get, it, get me across. And that's why we have crosswalk. That's why we do everything from worship to ministry teams to growth groups. That's why we do them, uh, is, is to help with strength, to strengthen you, and so that we can be here for each other through these difficult times. But the most important thing we do is share the promises of Christ, because those alone are what strengthen us in these difficult times. And as you go, go also with the blessing of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.